Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O C-O. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's get it going on the Arrowhead Attic Podcast here on the Fanside Podcasting Network, arrowheadattic.com. I'm your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And I'm joined today by our NFL draft guru for arrowheadattic.com and also this very podcast. He helped us get through last year's NFL draft. He's back to do it again. And that is, of course, Arrowhead Tom. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh really my first chance to talk about the uh, 2020 draft and um, you know I told you earlier just that you know I've had a little more professional commitments so I haven't had as much time to uh, look at the draft this year so following along um, when I get a chance but um, you know and thankfully the Chiefs decided that they were gonna you know go ahead and pick at the end of the first round and give me some uh, some more time to look at look at prospects before they had to pick so that was nice of them. Yeah, it's always good whenever you're slotted to pick at 32. And despite your terrible Thanksgiving takes, I have allowed you to come back on the show. Thank you for joining us again. It's always fun when we get together. I wanted to start with the NFL Combine. Obviously, that comes on uh, later tonight. They've moved it to prime time. It used to come on in the morning and afternoon. But, of course, you move everything to prime time now because it's football and we'll watch it, even if we don't know what's going on. So I wanted to ask you, how important is the NFL Combine. As somebody who grades these athletes year-round, you're always having content about the upcoming draft and, and, and prospects and evaluating them in your own way. How important is the NFL Combine, and how much do you look at that? Yeah, so I think if you follow draft content, uh, generally speaking, most people are always quick to give you kind of a, you know, be careful, don't overreact, don't, you know, don't freak out about a Combine performance, you know, trust the tape. And, and I think all that is true, but really... The combine serves to do a couple of, of big things, um, just for the casual observer, for the people, you know, especially you know they moved at the prime prime time, so you're watching it at home. You do get to see some of those drills. You do get to, um, you know, listen to some of the the background. You you get some more information on the players. Uh, it's it's much more important for the teams in terms of getting to sit down and meet with those prospects. Um, you know, a lot of times it's the first chance that they get to talk to them. And, of course, you know, especially it seems like maybe more this year than any other year um, in recent memory, the medical stuff has just been, uh, it's really important for some really big names. Obviously, uh, you know, you got Tua at the top of the draft, and it uh, sounds like everything, I was just, you know, listening earlier um, to another podcast talking about the draft, and it sounds like he's got, you know, um, 
his prognosis is as good as it's going to be at this point in his, you know, in his rehab, and, and so that's good. Um, you know, there's some other guys. Uh, you know, Tyler Beattis out of uh, Wisconsin was one. I think um, I don't know if it was you or, or somewhere else. I've, I've mentioned him before. I was really, you know, had a really good tape, but uh, now some injury concerns are resurfacing with him, and and you know, it looks like that might have affected his play this last year, and uh, so. A big one is just getting the the medical clearance, and there's quite a few prospect this, prospects this year that really uh, their draft stock and their draft position is going to be determined by what the doctors see, you know, what the team doctors see when they look at these kids. And uh, the other part of that is, you know, it seems like every year there's always somebody who, you know, you don't know anything about their injury history, or you don't, you know, you don't suspect it, but something, you know, something pops up. You know, I think I remember a couple of years ago there was. Uh, Maurice Hurst, who's a you know, or, well, Las Vegas Raider now, and uh, you know he was a, a defensive tackle projected to go as you know some people had him going in the top ten, top five, and he fell I think to the fifth round. I mean because they, they found a heart heart issue, and, and you you know you hope those things don't happen, but it just seems like at least there's you know usually at least one every year that there's something that pops up and you know that's kind of unexpected. So that's that I think is probably the most important part, especially for some of the bigger name prospects and then of course you got a lot of guys who you know you don't know who are gonna you know prove themselves and uh and you know maybe surprise and turn some heads and and get a second look on the tape you know you go oh that guy's a little faster than i thought or uh maybe that guy's not as fast as i thought so you know there's some some chances to prove themselves but for the most part when you're you know when you're talking about your first rounders especially the turf the top half of that first half a lot of that's already you know kind of I don't say written in stone, but you know, you you use it to to verify what you what you've seen on the film, and as long as nothing looks real wonky, you know, it's not a huge deal for them. But especially for some of those later round guys, you know, if you can show you're a little faster than uh, if you're you know a sixth or seventh round draft pick trying to make a special team spot or a case for a special team spot, then maybe you know you can look at that combine testing and point to that, and and that might help you a lot. So it's it's a mixed bag. It just kind of depends on on what prospect is coming in and where they're. Um, you know, how much tape they have. And again, it, it doesn't make or break anybody, at least not not usually. Um, and we've seen cases where people have overreacted both in, you know, drafting somebody too high um, just based on combine performances. That used to be, you know, the Al Davis special <laughs> when, uh, when he's running the Raiders. And then you have um, the opposite now. It seems like, you know, you have guys like Orlando Brown a couple years ago who, even though he didn't test well, um, had a lot of good tape at Oklahoma and came out and has been, you know, he's started for the Ravens and he's done a really good job despite not having the best, uh, in fact, having, you know, what they were calling at the time, one of the worst, you know, combine performances in NFL history. You, you got to use the tape really as your, as your true test, but, um, it's there to verify things. And so it's, it's a mixed bag. I think we've, we've pretty, pretty much settled on our appropriate value for it as a kind of as the, uh, NFL world goes. Yeah, so obviously this combine is now on primetime and made-for-TV event, and the Chiefs always have a good fan base. I'm, I'm not trying to compare it exactly to the Royals, but whenever you win a championship, you're going to have fans interested for longer. You're going to have fans wanting more and craving more information on the team. And so there's going to be some people who join now into the draft process who might not have cared before uh, before you know Mahomes took over and, and this team... You know, went to a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl. So for those fans, 
how do you watch the NFL Combine? What's important? What's not important? What drills can you tell the most about a player? And what drills are kind of just there for show? Yeah, so, I mean, really the the drills, uh, and some of them get, you know, um, I, I kind of blame, you know, the video game Madden. I mean, you know, the 40 time and <laughs> the bench press really, if, you, you know, if you've ever played Madden, you know that, you know, if you're scouting players in Madden, You know, what's a three-cone or, or anything else? Um, you know, you, you're not sure about those things. The um, the other issue, I guess, is, you know, when you look at some of these drills, they are more relevant based on your position. You know, I don't need a wide receiver who puts up 20, you know, 20 reps at 225 on the bench press. Um, so it, it is very uh, position-dependent. Um, and really, like I said, it's not a make-or-break type of thing. So you can have um, a player who, you know, may not be the best at one, you know, at the 40-yard dash, but if it's Orlando Brown and he can, you know, put up an adequate number, you know, in the bench press, I'm okay with that. So um, for your, so I, I, like, that's an example. So offensive lineman, um, the bench press is a big one. Um, and then, I, I'm, you know, the three-cone drill, the 20-yard the shuttles, all those things that just show the change of direction speed, I think, um, you know, as again, this is my experience, you know, as a, as just working with high school athletes, one of the trends that we're seeing is that colleges and, and I think the pros will continue to look for this is, is people who have good lateral agility. Uh, so just somebody who, who can run in a straight line fast is, is nice, but a lot of times you have those guys who can't move, who can't make the quick cuts, who can't make the quick breaks. If you remember DK Metcalf last year, who, you know, he had one of the most bizarre combines, you know, just ran incredibly fast, was huge. I mean, built like a brick house and really impressed people, but then put up, put down these really t terrible times in the, you know, the, the drills that required changing, you know, change of direction. Um, you know, that's, I think that's going to be a lot more important than what people usually like the casual observer would say. Uh, 40 yard dash is important. But again, you have to think about how many times is a player, you know, especially that player at that position, going to have a chance to run 40 yards, you know, untouched <laughs> down a field. Um, Without that doesn't on. happen often, unless your name's Tyreek Hill. Um, so you have to put it in the context of the position. Uh, I think when you're looking at defensive linemen, um, so if you want somebody who's really bendy and, and really can kind of uh, get around the edge uh, in the style of like Von Miller, then those drills like the three cone are really important. And I think all of them have to have some level of that, but especially guys coming off the edge have to have the ability to uh, change direction and get around that offensive tackle. Um, bench press for me, I think just for the offensive tackle and your defensive tackles, or really your offensive linemen in general, is important. And then 40-yard dash, um, you know, if you can get your hands on the on the information, I think it's good to look at the 10-yard splits and all that stuff to understand, like, somebody might have, if it's an offensive lineman who has a bad 40-yard dash, but their first 10 yards, they were, you know, at least par for the course, that's pretty good. I mean, again, because you're not asking your offensive lineman to run 40 yards downfield and block somebody, they got to get, you know, if they get... If they've got hands on somebody and they block them for 10 yards, we're putting them on a highlight reel. So as long as they can move that 10 yards and keep up with everybody and, and make space, then that's pretty good. So, um, you know, obviously the 40-yard dash, I think, is one of the most uh, scrutinized and overthought, you know, 
exercises, but I, I look at the three cone drill, bench press. Um, for receivers and corners, I really think it's important. Um, not just their vertical jumps, but their broad jumps. So being able to, the broad jump really ex, like speaks to a player's explosiveness, um, you know, how twitchy they're going to be. And again, you use that to verify what you see on tape, not necessarily to prove things, but you want to see that they can, you know, again, they have that explosiveness. So, um, you know, broad jump and vertical jump are important to measure those types of things, especially when you're talking about players who are going to play in space and who need to do a lot of, you know, changing of direction and keeping up with other people. So for the Chiefs fans, of course, <clears throat> this is the Arrowhead Act podcast, mainly for the Chiefs. If I'm going to sit down and watch the Combine for the next few days, who am I looking at at this Combine that could go to the Chiefs, and who are you most interested in to watch at this Combine event? Oh, man. Um, and that's the crazy thing is things that, you know, the the way that at this point in the year everything plays out. Um, to give you just – I guess I'll give you a couple of names that um, – I think might fall and then I'll give you a couple of names that I'm hoping have like <laughs> secretly I'm hoping they have bad performances so they'll they'll fall to us and then some names that are just kind of common to um to see mock to Kansas City um one that like I've just been working on uh recently is the um Iowa offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs and just to be clear I don't think there's any chance in the world that he's there at 32 um and I know that offensive tackle is not Kansas City's biggest need but he has been just so much fun to watch. I mean, and that's, you know, that says something for an offensive tackle. <laughs> um, I I think that if he, you know, maybe if he tests poorly, there's some people who are concerned about arm length, saying he may need to move to guard. Um, he's got a lot of support. He's a pretty highly, I've got him in my top 10. Um, I've got him at number nine, actually, on my board. Um, if he has a bad combine and maybe some people in the NFL start to overthink it and he slides, I mean, I would be, I'd be pretty elated with him at 32 just because he, he really is um, – he's my number two tackle. Um, I think he's got really good mobility. He might not have the longest arms, but I don't. I think that's one of those those things that, you know, again, with proper coaching you can work around. Um, there's two linebackers that are considered kind of first-round worthy, um, and, they're, and they're really two different stories. So Kenneth Murray has, from Oklahoma has had some hype. I think there's probably plenty of Kansas City fans – um, just being in the general region, you know, probably Oklahoma fans too, who know who know the name. Um, he's been around. He's kind of been a known commodity. He's been somebody who, you know, if you go back a year ago and look at mock drafts, his name was popping up a lot in the first round, and and his stock has cooled off a little bit. Um, there are concerns about his ability to play in coverage. There are concerns about, um, you know, maybe his how consistent he is as a tackler. When he gets your, his hands on you, he does pretty good. He can be a little, um, he can be a little over aggressive. And then the other linebackers, Patrick Queen out of LSU. And, and this is a guy that um, was kind of a surprise when he declared, but once he declared and people were like, Oh, okay, well this guy's, you know, part of the pool now. And they started looking at his tape. Um, he doesn't really, he, he didn't start the season as a starter, um, but he progressively got much better. And, and he's one of those guys who's just very, has a very good athletic profile, so he could end up um, testing really well and, and climbing the board. I I have kind of a love hate relationship with Patrick Queen. I think he's uh, I think he's a good athlete, and I've seen some good flashes. I think he's just one of those guys that um, you know really will take probably a year or two before he puts it all together. And I don't think Kenneth Murray is 
Um, you know, Kenneth Murray might be just a year ahead of that. Might be just a little more experienced, a little more intuitive, um, just with the game. And I think that transition might be a little bit easier for him. But I think overall, Patrick Queen has the higher ceiling. But I really expect that Queen's going to run really well and just look really good in the drills. Um, I don't know how Murray's going to look. He's very athletic. He was asked to do just about everything in Oklahoma. And he did, he, you know, um, you know, one of the things I'll say about him, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in Kenneth Murray is, you know, um, you know, big players make big plays and big games and, and, uh, watching him in some of the bowl games and some of the bigger games that he was supposed to, you know, that were important to that program. Uh, Kenneth Murray showed up, <laughs> um, and he, you know, those were some of his best games. So that's a big one. And then of course, I think Kansas city, you know, everybody who follows the chiefs know that they've got a pretty significant need at cornerback. Um, and the good news is this is a good year to need a cornerback because there are um, they are everywhere. <laughs> um, the top cornerback is Jeffrey Akuda. He's probably going in the top five. I mean, if he fell out of the top five, it would be I think a, a pretty universal shock. Um, you know, unless there's some there's, you know there might be some trades and stuff, but he's going to be one of the first non-quarterback players off the board. Um, there are some people who really think that C.J. Henderson is going to just really show out at the combine and i would believe that uh he's a corner out of florida um he's i'm less high on him than a lot of people but athletically he's going to test really well uh just look at the list Kristen fulton uh he's a corner out of lsu again the kind of the opposite of you know everything cj henderson's gonna you know just blow the the roof off the gym um, there's concerns about Fulton and, and his long speed, and so he's one of those players that, you know, the 40-yard dash is going to be important for him. His three cones, his, his you know, uh, movement skill drills are going to be pretty important. He had some really good tape, um, very competitive guy at the at the, um, at the the catch point, but really there's some questions about his ability to turn and, and run with people. Um, the one that I think when you talk about first-round corners, the one that I think makes – uh, that gets me the most excited is probably Jeff Gladney out of TCU, just in terms of he would likely be there at 32. And I just think he's got a really good, um, just good, good instincts at the, at the position. Uh, really, really quick feet, really smooth guy. Um, needs some coaching is going to need some work. Isn't, I don't think he's going to come in and, uh, you know, be a first team all pro or anything crazy in his first year, but I think he has the potential to really get there. Uh, you talk about competitive and, and toughness, and that's that's definitely his game. Kind of the same thing as, as you know, you talk about the the long speed. Can he turn and run with guys downfield? He'll he'll need to prove that a little bit. Not not as much as guys like Fulton, but um, just playing at t- TCU. And, and there's some tapes where you just go, what what was going on there? You know, how do you get beat? Um, but I think Gladney's a guy to keep an eye on just at the cornerback position. Um, one more name, and and I don't know. This is one I, you know, I had some tweets and, and got some pushback, <laughs> um, you know, was uh, Grant Delpit out of LSU. He's a safety, which might be an odd pick for Kansas City. Um, I think he's going to test pretty well. He was considered, he was pretty, um, you know, well, highly considered a last year. I mean, they, they had him, you know, some people had him in the top five. Some people had him as, you know, their best player on the board, all that stuff. Uh, he did not do well this year on tape. Um, he just, he really struggled with some tackling issues. 
I think you can look at that and trace it back to a shoulder injury he had in 2018. That's where those issues really started to, to pop up. Um, I, I have a theory that uh, Delpit is, he's one of those guys that I think, and again, this is where you, you wish you could sit in our room. Um, I think Kansas City would be a perfect fit for a guy like Grant and Delpit for a couple reasons. One, you have a world-class you know, athletic training uh, program there. The chief staff does a, a great job. Um, but two, you also have a guy like Tyran Matthew who, you know, for all intents and purposes, is an LSU legend. Um, also wore the number seven, which I believe Grant Delpit wears. And, you know, plays safety. He's a guy who could mentor him. Again, not the biggest need for Kansas City, but if Delpit tests well, um, and for some reason he's there, you know, maybe the, those tackling concerns are there, I think you have to consider it and maybe pick this guy and say he's going to be our third safety. And then, you know, I mean, the unfortunate truth is Tyran Matthews not the youngest guy, but he's and he's on a three-year deal. So Kansas City will have to make some decisions there. And if you grab a guy who, um, you know, now who Matthew could mentor, and, and I don't think you can – replicate the leadership and the energy that that somebody like you know the honey badger has but if you can get at least get a body in there to to learn some things from him there, there's value in that and then i'll give one more for offense because i'm i'm just rambling there's so many guys i'm excited to see um i i tweeted earlier this week you know less lavisca chanel hype um and more for brandon Ayuk out of arizona state it took me a while to get around to to brandon Ayuk. he was one of those guys that um you know, you read about guys or you get info on guys, you kind of get other people's opinions, and you just, before you even see them, you kind of start to, I guess, guess or gauge how you think you're going to feel about them. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm reading how you scouting stuff, I'm reading tweets or seeing clips here or there, and I'm going, you know, I'm not that excited about that guy. Like, he's not, you know, it, he's just, he's just, you know, he's just a guy. And I turned on his tape um, just this uh, early last week, and I, I like, I've fallen in love with with Ayuk. I don't, I'm not exactly excited about the idea of the Chiefs spending a, a first round pick on a wide receiver. But if everybody else is gone and Brandon Ayuk is just sitting there, or maybe if they trade back, um, it, or if they, you know, move on from Sammy, Sammy Watkins, I think Ayuk is a guy who I honestly think would probably be more productive in this offense than uh, than Sammy Watkins. And so, uh, how he tests, how his uh, long speed and some of his agility stuff is going to be important because that's where some of my questions are. I think he's going to be um, a pretty pretty good tester, but I have to, you know I want to see that verified what I've seen on tape. I think he's very explosive, and if he is um, half as good as he looked on tape, I think that he's going to probably end up being there. Um, you know, it, he may go some some uh, potential to prove himself, and I think that would be. Um, that'd be good for him. Again, I, I, I hope he's there at 32 and there's a situation where it makes sense for the Kansas City. But, um, yeah, that's that's another name I'd, I'd watch out for. There's a lot of guys. So so to reset here, Arrowhead Tom joining us on the Arrowhead Attic Podcast, talking all things NFL Draft. I'm Rylan Stiles. And let's move into more of that NFL Draft and away from the Combine because we've both agreed that the Combine, while fun to watch, isn't exactly indicative of anything uh, of note, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a genie here, and I'm going to grant you three players. Now, three realistic players, so I'm not Chase Young or, or whatever to the Chiefs, but I, you get three players who realistically could be on the Chiefs. Who are you picking? Oh, man, that's that's tough. Um, let me 
let me look at here. So, um, three players, any, um, gosh, it's hard to, you know, cause you don't know what they're going to do in free agency. I'm going to say, um, Kenneth Murray, and I'm not, that, that's not the most exciting for me, but I think when you look at the free agency, the free agents available and the guys in the draft, if you get Murray or Queen, you're kind of stuck. If you don't get one of those two, you're on the outside looking in. So, um, if Murray is there, I'm taking him round one, round two, um, I'm going to pretend that my guy Brandon Ayuk is going to make it that far, and we'll grab him in round two. Um, and then that leaves us with a pretty big need at cornerback for round three. And I'm, I'm probably stretching a little bit again, but again, maybe it depends on his testing. Um, I'm going to go with Cam Dantzler out of Mississippi State. Uh, I think he'll go in the second round, but you know, we, some people thought one Thornhill would go in the first round last year. So maybe we'll continue our luck of grabbing really good defensive backs around later. And we're going to take cam dancer at, in round three. So, or maybe we trade back up who knows. Um, but I think those three would make some pretty significant impacts on the Kansas City's roster next year. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on, on Kenneth Murray. I'm really high on him and his fit in Kansas city. Speaking of the Chiefs, obviously, what names, besides the ones you've already rattled off, should fans really get familiar with as we continue on past the combine and we gear up for the NFL draft? I know that a lot of this, like you said, is subjective to what happens in free agency, but who are some names that not only excite you for the Chiefs, but are great fits for the Chiefs and also something you can actually see materializing? Yeah. Um, So I'll give you one. So you say, you know, actually see materializing. I'll give you one that, like, Again, one of those bizarre situations where maybe, like, the chances that it happened, you don't know, but it's the NFL draft. Um, or maybe Kansas City decides to move up. It might be one of those things where Brett Feach falls in love. Um, you know, so recently, as people have been dissecting this wide receiver class, um, I've had Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb back and forth, you know, 1A, 1B, pretty much since last year. Recently, a lot of people have bumped Henry Ruggs into that conversation. And, um, I just I feel like maybe if you have a situation where you get C.D. Lamb going first and then Henry Ruggs go some goes somewhere, um, you know a little bit later, and let's say you get to 24, 25, and all of a sudden you know there's Jerry Judy sitting there, and maybe <laughs> maybe there's a, a scenario where Brett Veach says, well that's just too good. Um, if you had if if there was a chance that Jerry Judy was added to this offense, like just shut it down, <laughs> the rest of the NFL could go home. Um, Again, a little, little bit of crazy pipe dream in there, but again, it's the NFL draft. Crazier things have happened. If he runs average, if he tests average, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think that he's cooling off a little bit, and I think that's a mistake. Um, he's got some, some really good film. He'd be a, a, you know, a really good addition in terms of complementary skill set to what everybody else has um, on this team. I've already gone on my, uh, my Grant Delpit conspiracy theory. That might make me look silly in a couple a uh, couple weeks, but we'll see. Um, another one that might, again, I, I could see as much as I don't necessarily see a trade up, but I could see something. Uh, I, I could see Veach falling in love, um, and it's a prospect that people are cooling off on. And I, you know, I don't you don't know for sure if that's what the NFL is doing, but it seems to be trending that way, and they really shouldn't. Would be um, AJ Epinesa from Iowa. Uh, this is a kid that you know a year ago people were putting him, you know, as the number one pick. And, you know, he, he came in as a full-time starter this year, and he did what he 
what he showed to be doing. You know, he's a very good, um, he's a bigger defensive end, so you know Steve Spagnuolo's, you know, paying attention to him. Um, you know, I think if you set him across from Frank Clark, you have a guy who, uh, you have a pairing there that could be really good for, for a long time. He's a he's a bigger guy. He's going to set the set the edge really well against the run, but, like, I think people are, he's a, he's more of a power rusher. He's got some, some quickness to him. Like, that's an underrated part of his game, but that's what people see is, is the bulk and the strength and the bull rushes, and those are all great, but he's a really well-rounded player. Um, I don't know if his ceiling is going to get much higher than where it's at, but I don't know if you need it to, especially at 32 um, or at that back half of that draft. I think he's a guy who who can be a really good complementary or, or even just a, a base edge where he's starting on that um, left side and, and holding down you know, against the run. And uh, he could be a guy who gets you, you know, eight to 12 sacks a year. And, you know, and that's that's his thing, you know, or, you know, five to five to ten, whatever, you know, um, he's, he's just got a really high motor. Um I, there's a lot of people who you know who like Lavisca Chanel. I don't necessarily dislike him. I think you have to be careful with the injuries there, but he's going to probably be a guy that that tests really well. Um, I know I just saw you know this morning that there's you know um, J.K. Dobbins, the running back from Ohio State, has met with Kansas City. I was probably one of the people who was driving the you know take a running back early train um, for most of the season. And then looking at some things, I just, you know, I have to admit, one, Damian Williams did a lot better in the postseason than I expected him to. Uh, I think we're all a little surprised by that. He was so quiet throughout the season. Um, and and then, you know, again, positional value, and the Chiefs just have some other needs. So Dobbins would be interesting in this offense, but I don't know if he's the biggest need. Um I'll give you another name to watch just because I think it, it affects uh, two names and it affects the Chiefs just the fact that they're picking in, in the back half of the draft. So um, Jordan Love, quarterback at a Utah State, and then Jacob Eason, Eason, the quarterback at a Washington. Both these guys are just uber talented, but as raw as you get. And if you're Kansas City, I think you're hoping for a situation like. Um, Gosh, I can't remember the team that traded out, but but similar to uh, how Lamar Jackson was drafted. So, you know, into the first round, and you have a team who wants a quarterback, wants that fifth year option. So they'll give you up, they'll give up a little bit more in terms of draft capital to get that pick. I think that's the ideal situation for Kansas City is uh, whether that's Jordan Love or more likely Jacob Eason sitting there. If it's Eason, you you call Tampa Bay, you move back a couple picks, you pick up some extra draft capital. And they get their guy for that extra fifth year. I think that's a win for everybody. Um, if I'm Kansas City, I'm keeping an eye on both those guys and where they're at on draft day because I want to make a trade. And then um, again, the other guy right now that I'm <laughs> that I'm a little, just extremely fascinated with is, is Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. I really think he'd be a good fit for for this offense. Um, there's some offensive linemen that some people have mocked the Chiefs. Uh, I've seen you know Caesar Ruiz. I'm not as high on those guys, the inter- the interior guys, as I think a lot of people are, and I don't think that Kansas City will go that route. I just think historically Andy has usually um, liked to work with some late-round guys on the inside of his line, and so I don't think that they'll waste, or I almost call it a waste, but I don't think they'll spend that first-round pick on a, on a guy on the inside. So you mentioned the running backs, and you mentioned J.K. Dobbins. Are we still in agreement that DeAndre Swift is the best running back in this class? Uh, absolutely. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> I know, I know. You know, I was reading or I heard that he, you know, there was some concerns about some shoulder stuff. But at the end of the day, you put on that tape. Um, I've actually, I've got Swift at 16 on my board and Dobbins at 33. So in terms of just, you know, skills and fit, uh, I think DeAndre Swift is the only one right now who has an argument, you know, to be in the conversation as a, for a first round back. Um, I don't think he'll, he might squeak in at the back end, um, but, you know, if he falls the second round, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I would have mixed feelings if Kansas City took him at 32, just because you know we have so many other holes on this roster. But um, at the, I think internally I'd be pretty excited to pair Swift with you know the rest of this offense. I think it'd be, you know, you want to talk about a track meet. That's the element that was missing last year, and having a, a running back who can pick up those short yards and then you know break a game open with some good runs. Uh, Swift would be a lot of fun. Plus, it's a great name for a running back. I mean, your, your last name's Swift. I mean, uh, that doesn't count to your evaluation, but. You know, it makes it me should, a little though. more agree. I, mean, I think it yeah. should. <laughs> uh, you you touched on it briefly, but if I have to pin you down right here, and I have to, and you have to give me an answer, will the Chiefs select at thirty-two? That's a tough one. Um, I think Brett Veach hasn't made a first-round pick since he's been general manager. Uh, I also think they've only got five picks in this draft class, so he's he's between a, a rock and a hard place. Um, and I'll be honest, uh, Brett Veach has been frustrating for me because I can't predict him, you know, at all. <laughs> uh, you know, I I was like, all right, let's trade up for a corner, and I was in a spot where I was like, all right, we're gonna trade up, you know, grab DK Metcalf, and it's Michael Hardman, and um. So, you know, those, I was, I was admittedly, and I was wrong, um, not as high on Juan Thornhill as a lot of people. So, uh, you know, that was on me. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, so there's a lot that I, I don't predict. So <laughs> I, I look at it and say, I don't think he'll pick at 32. I think he should trade back, which means he'll probably end up trading up for somebody crazy and wall, you know, he'll look like a genius. Um, you know, eight months from now, that'll probably be how it plays out. He'll probably go up and get Jerry Judy just to spite me. Well, as I said, you're the draft guru, so I'm glad that we're in agreement. I think you're right that with only five picks in this draft, I think he's going to trade back and and get more assets and, and be able to spend them and fill the holes in this roster uh, more efficiently because, again, there's only $13 million in cap space as of right now and with and only five picks, and that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, that's like what you would logically think that somebody would do, but we're talking about Brett Veach. I think Brett Veach lives very, uh, very aggressively. Like I, you know, I think he's the kind of guy who, you know, he might go into free agency and sign somebody and go, well, we gotta better go find somebody who's willing to restructure a contract. <laughs> uh, he he's not afraid to go get his guy, and you know, I, I don't mean that to make it sound like he's reckless, but if again, if he falls in love with the guy, I mean, it could be even be Henry Ruggs. I mean, you know. If one of those guys starts to fall, I think that he's he'll he'll call and he'll say, "Hey, you want a third round pick?" and we'll come up ten spots and we'll take, or you know, we'll trade somebody next year, uh, or trade a pick next year. I think that's one that, um, again, you know, it would probably surprise most people. But you think about who Kansas City is, you know, potentially losing in free agency. Um, I think Kendall Fuller is going to be gone, and you know, Basad Breland, and they're going to lose some starters, and they're going to get some compensatory picks next year. And so, you know, you're kind of playing with house money at that point. So if you've if you've got a player that you're in love with in that first round, and you know, you know, you're going to have an extra third round pick next year, why not trade? You know, call somebody to make that offer, and 
you know, if it means adding somebody who's a little bit better, again, that's that's not how I would do it. But I think that if you if you ask me, you know, to step into the mind of Brett Feach, he's a very aggressive guy when it comes to his talent evaluation and, and you know getting those guys. And he'll find that you know the other part is he really values uh, the the personalities. That's the part that's impressed me most about this team that he's put together. Is I think he's going to look at you know the combine interviews and he's going to take that time very seriously. And if there's a guy that he looks at and goes, you know, this is someone who fits into, the, into our locker room, he's going to go get him. So shifting away from the Chiefs now and just general NFL draft stuff, let's start with who's the most talented player in this draft. The very most talented player, the single most talented player in this draft, who is it? Chase Young. The Future Washington Redskins, Chase Young? Yes. Yeah, I, I totally I mean, agree there. I mean, I think that he has immense upside. Mm-hmm. I think you're talking about a guy who, I mean, uh, and it's surprising. I mean, the quarterback's dominant the conversation, but this is a guy who's, you know, kind of Jadavion Clowney, Julius Peppers kind of athletic freak. <laughs> um, you know, and you watch him and, and, you know, you've heard people say things like, yeah, he's got better technique than the Bosa brothers. And you're like, holy cow, uh, you know, and then his size and his athleticism, um, man, he, he's going to be, you know, he's one of those guys that is just, he's just a freak and he puts it together with, you know, really good tape on the field and, you know, good technique, which is also scary. You don't see that combination, uh, very often. And kind of keeping that same light, but th- for this question, who's your favorite prospect? And it doesn't have to be the most talented or who's projected the highest, but your personal favorite prospect, you know, he could not be getting a lot of attention or he could be getting a ton of attention, but who's your absolute favorite? Oh man. Um, (laughs) you only get one. So it's going to be a really tough decision. Who's your absolute favorite prospect? Just one that see, that's the hard, that's like taking me to Baskin Robbins and saying, I can only have one flavor of ice cream. That's just, that's not fair, man. Um, let's see if I had to pick like just one guy that I enjoy to watch the most. Um, gosh, I'm trying to avoid the recency bias. Um, uh, I'll say, and, and this is, I feel cheap saying this just because, you know, I, but I, I mean, I've been watching Isaiah Simmons. I've been on him for, I think, you know, I knew he was going to be good and get drafted well, but I, you know, now they're talking about a top five top five guy and i think that surprises me a little bit just because you know but holy cow isaiah simmons i mean just he does it all so you know if you ask me who's the second most talented it's really splitting the hair between him and jeffrey akuda for that second position um but if you watch excuse me isaiah simmons uh play football it's just it's fun if i told you that there's a huge red flag on joe burrow because he needed to be placed in a certain system at the college level to be able to succeed, you would say what? I would say as a coaching staff, your job is to make the best out of, to maximize the potential of players. And so if that prospect performed at the level that he did in college um, because of that system, you need to go out and hire that guy who ran that system. Um, or you need to emulate it and take that guy. Like, you know that he can make those throws. You know that you, he can do those things. So you need to, you know, put him in a system that, that's going to be, uh, that's going to cater to that. I would also say as much as, you know, the system that was, that he was in was pretty quarterback friendly. Um, if you just watch the, the tape and watch some of the throws that he makes, 
and more importantly, the throws that he makes with anticipation. Um, you see that a guy who can really fit into any offense, and, and so I, I would say I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't call him uh, scheme limited, but if you, I, I think you can, you know, point that out as a criticism. But again, his level of production was so high, and he was playing against elite uh, college teams. I mean, playing against the best of the best in the SEC. I think you're going to have a hard time saying that this kid doesn't have the tools to be a franchise quarterback. And if he's got the tools, you just got to make sure that he knows how to use them and put him in the right position to succeed. Um, you know, again, he's just going to be a young guy. There's probably going to be some, uh, you know, learning curve, but you got to, you know, you got to, that's your job as a coach, as a coaching staff, we'll give you the player. No player can, uh, you know, can thrive in a bad scheme. I mean, again, Look at the Chiefs defense last year. You had some of those guys who um, looked a lot better this year just because they changed scheme and they game planned better. So uh, if that's the if that's your concern, I would say your issue is with your coaching staff, not with the player. All right, so am I right or wrong? I see a ton of draft day trades and moves being made. I think that the, the draft day starting in round one will be a firestorm on Twitter and will generate a ton of attention more so than it normally does with again, just trades and surprise picks. And it'll be one of the most fun drafts to be a part of. I, I think I'm going to agree with you. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of potential for moving and shaking. Um, you know, Detroit is going to, that's where it's going to start. Um, unless Washington, you know, gets, you know, really shakes things up. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting when, you know, Ron Rivera today said that they were bringing in Tua and uh, uh, Joe Burrow for interviews. And, you know, he says he likes Dwayne Haskins, but, you know, it's, you know, everybody's got to earn their job. And, uh, I mean, I just imagine what, you know, what's the chaos like if, you know, Burrow goes one and, uh, you know, Tua goes number two uh, to Washington. <laughs> that, to me, is the most chaotic, you know, scenario. Because uh, then you have Chase Young and the Lions, you know, seeing that three, and I think that's going to be a marriage that they'll be happy for. But I mean, at that point, it's just it's kind of chaos all the way down, and someone's going to want to move up for the, you know, another quarterback, and um, you know, or you could go the other direction. You know, maybe you know it goes as we expect. Um, you know, Burrow one, Young two, and then Detroit. Maybe they take Tua, or maybe they trade down and they get a massive haul. You know, they've got. They're kind of in a seller's market right now, especially with Tua's medicals checking out. And Miami, I think Miami wants Tua. Um, and then once once Tua and Burrow are off the board, someone I think is going to overpay to get Justin Herbert. And I think that, and not comparing these two prospects, but I'll compare the situations. I think it's going to be similar to Arizona Cardinal, the Arizona Cardinals drafting Josh Rosen and that they were kind of like, well, the other two guys are off the board. We need a quarterback. He's the last one left. Let's go get him. And, um, you know, they won't – that won't necessarily – and, I don't, again, I don't know what that team will be, but I could see a situation where that same team is struggling, you know, later on. So um, it'll be interesting just with the quarterbacks. And, and there are some other players in this draft that are worth moving up for. We've You know, there's already rumblings that there's a team that wants to move up for a wide receiver. And, um, you know, is that, is that CeeDee Lamb or Henry Ruggs or is it Jerry Judy and – there's all kinds of chaos there, so it would be inter- it's going to be an interesting draft. It's going to be um, as fun of a draft, as, as fun of a first round as you're going to have uh, anytime soon. So that's Arrowhead Tom and Ryland Styles. We just gave you over 40 minutes of intense draft coverage. Now let's shift over to the NFL offseason, which will have answers to these questions prior to the draft. 
Let's start with the biggest topic in Chiefs Kingdom. I've already given my opinions on all these. So I want to hear what yours are. Number one, is Chris Jones going to be a Chief next year? Uh, I'm going to say yes, because I'll be upset if he's not. And Brett Veach made no bones about it at the Combine press conference that he intends to keep Chris Jones in Kansas City, so I tend to agree with you there. And then the second question, the second topic really is, basically, is Kendall Fuller going to be a Chief next year? Um, no, I think he's going to get paid to be somewhere else. Uh, don't sleep on, you know, Chicago making a run to, you know, pair the Fuller brothers together. And, um, he, you know, I think the interesting thing is I think he's going to get paid as a safety. And, uh, you know, again, that's not going to be as high end money as uh, what he probably could make as a cornerback. But I think the the play, the, the run he had at the end of the season and the place he had in the postseason as a safety uh, they surprised me. I think that that's a better position for him, and he learned that really well. Um, you know, and obviously a lot of playing safety is dropping down into the nickel, so that's not going to be foreign to him, but I think he's going to get paid. I think he's going to get a pretty big deal. Yeah, you're two for two. I agree on both accounts. Is Sammy Watkins going to be a chief next year? I don't want him to be. Uh, that's probably <laughs> a bad thing for me to say, but... You know, uh, he just, I mean, I know playoff Sammy is, you know, he's the lizard king and he does all his, all his stuff, but man, he was just nowhere this season, especially when we really needed him in some of those regular season games. Um, I will say, I think they want to keep him. Um, I think he's going to have to restructure his deal or possibly sign an extension and move some money around. I don't think he's going to do that. And so when Brett Veach says there are hard decisions that need to be made, I think he's going to be a hard decision. And I think that the Chiefs will want to bring him back, but I don't think that he's going to be very agreeable to that. Um, And I think that they'll probably try to trade him. I think that there will be a team um, that might want to bring him in to, you know, again, I know his contract's pretty big, but you can trade him, you can extend him. Um... You know, or you can take on that one-year cap hit if you've got a younger quarterback and he needs some cap pass catchers. Sammy Watkins isn't the worst you can do, and so if you want to give up a you know a mid-round pick for that, um, we'll take it. But I I I don't see how he fits in, and I don't th- I think it's a hard sell to say, hey guys, uh, we're getting rid of Chris Jones, but we're going to keep Sammy Watkins. Uh, I don't think that's that's a great message. Smart man again. And the most interesting question league-wide, is Tom Brady going to be a Patriot next year? Yeah, I think this is all leverage. I mean, Tom Brady is too smart to ruin his legacy by going somewhere like the Las Vegas Raiders or going somewhere that's rebuilding. Um, Tennessee, I I get it, but they're, they're a flash in the pan, and you don't know what you're doing with Derrick Henry, and, you know, running backs are... Not always that successful, um, you know. Not that, not always that consistent. Uh, even Derrick Henry wasn't. The, I don't think that he's gonna mess up uh, his legacy and and go elsewhere. I think he's he's using it as a leverage tactic, as a negotiation tactic. Um, you know, it, it seems that seems to be some of their play. You know, some of his. Uh, I don't know who represents him or or how all that works. They, they'd like to do a lot of you know public things, and I think a lot of information is coming from them to leverage the deal from the Patriots. I don't think... Uh, now, I, I think Bill Belichick is a cold-hearted monster, and he would let Tom walk tomorrow, but I think Robert Kraft is going to be a little more sentimental 
and, uh, and, and you know, insists that Tom Brady stays. So I, I don't think, I don't see how he goes anywhere else. Is Tom Brady a bad quarterback in 2020? I hope. <laughs> I hope he was a bad, <laughs> he's been a bad quarterback, you know, the last 10 years, and this has all just been one bad dream. Um, <laughs> again, I don't know. I think that he's going to be, I think he's going to drop off from what we've seen. Uh, I think he's going to really struggle if he goes to a different system, but you can't take away just his knowledge and his ability to process the game. So I wouldn't call him bad. I think his floor is, you know, is an above average guy. Um, but, you know, I until the arm is completely shot, and I, I don't think it is, and his game has never been entirely about, you know, throwing the, the deep ball or, um, you know, having the biggest arm. I think you can't, you know, until the... Um, you can't take away that mental processing side of the game. And he's probably one of the best, you know, him and Peyton Manning just know the game so well. And that's what always made those matchups, you know, it's just so intriguing. Uh, I I don't think that, you know, you can take that away from him. And so I think he's always going to have a pretty high floor. I don't think he'll ever be, you know, really tremendously bad unless his, uh, unless his body starts to to fail. Yeah. I, I just, in 2020, after what we saw last year, if Tom Brady did join the Vegas Raiders, I, I just cannot find myself being scared of that. I still think Mahomes is 10 times the quarterback. I don't think that Tom Brady changes the Raiders' outlook more so than Derek Carr does. That's the level that I put Tom Brady on right now. Mm-hmm. I, I would disagree a little bit. I think he gives them a better chance than Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr, um, you know, there's a lot of hate and people, you know, he's if he played for the Kansas City I think we would we would have a little more um, we'd have a different view because I mean he's he's given his heart and soul to that to that Raiders team um, you know he's dealt with some pretty significant injuries I mean literally you know uh, had a broken vertebra, vertebrae in his back and um, you know he's he's not the best quarterback in the league and he's not you know this um, you know amazing all star or anything but I think that he's he's put in as much effort as you can um, you know. <laughs> That said, I think Tom Brady would still, again, you're talking about a Hall of Fame understanding of the game, and, and um, you know, there's not the same weapons there, but I think Tom Brady just has a better feel for it, and he's much, you know, much more uh, compo- composed under pre- pressure, and I think that is an area where Derek Carr is not um, not as, as put together, and I think that would improve the Raiders, but I think if he comes to Las Vegas, you know, Tom Brady needs to be afraid of the Chiefs. The Chiefs don't need to be afraid of Tom Brady. I I totally agree that the, the Chiefs are no longer, or any NFL team really, should be afraid of Tom Brady anymore. I think that his knowledge and, and his ability to read a defense makes him a good game manager. But beyond that, I just don't think he can go out there and beat a team anymore, or at least beat a competitive team anymore. Last question as we're running up here against an hour, an hour-long podcast. It relates to the AFC West, so I want to get your opinion on this before we fully find out the free agency signings and whereabouts of these players. Where does Philip Rivers land? Ooh, um, that's a tough one. I think Philip Rivers, um, you know, the one that I've heard, and I think it just it makes a lot of sense, is, is for Philip Rivers to go to the Colts. Um, now, I get there's, you know, some connections being made there, and I don't know, to me, I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Um, you know, the connections are nice, but... Um, you know, talk about a quarterback whose body is failing them. I think that's Philip Rivers. Um, and again, 
I, I have some more respect for Philip Rivers than I think most uh, Kansas City fans do. Um, you know, he's a very, very big competitor. Um, I'll just be honest. I, I, my fear is that if, if, if I'm a general manager and I sign Philip Rivers, I'm afraid that he's not going to make it a full season, that he's going to have to retire. I mean, he's a tough guy. Um, but his, you know, he just, it's, it's not there for him anymore. His arm strength, I mean, that's where, you know, um, just watching those those throws against Kansas City, I mean, he's underthrowing, you know, Mike Williams, who's, you know, nine feet tall and, you know, destroyed us last year. Um, man, I just, I really think his body is at its limits. And so if I'm signing him, I want him to be a backup, but I know that's not what he wants. So I would say he probably needs to be, um, a transitional starter, you know, that kind of situation. So, and here's the thing, I'm not sure what Philip Rivers offers you that Jacoby Brissett doesn't. Um, in fact, I would think that maybe Brissett, Brissett is um, maybe even a better option because you might have another year or two with Brissett um, and you wouldn't have to rush your quarterback in into that starting lineup so quickly. The other team I've heard is, you know, Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Bruce Arians has, you know, is not shy about working with veteran quarterbacks, you know, Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer and all that. Uh, again, I, it's the same question, though, is can, can Phillip push the ball down the field anymore? And, um, you know, there, there's a couple of teams that, you know, I think you need to look at, um, you know, some more short passing teams. One, one that, um, you know, just kind of an off-the-wall idea I heard, and I know <laughs> no reason to think this would happen, but I think it would be interesting, would be um, – you know, I know people have connected, like, they're saying, oh, Tom Brady's going to go to the 49ers. Says, what if Phillip Rivers went to the 49ers? And, um, you know, I, a lot of things I've heard about Jimmy G from 49ers, it, they're not, they don't sound sold on him. <laughs> and Phillip, you know, he, he may not have the, um, you know, the arm strength, but he could run that offense. That's a West Coast offense. It's, you know, based on some quick timing routes and, and those types of things, and he could run that. And, you know, his understanding of the game, but also his, I think his competitive demeanor um, might be a little exciting for that team. You know, that was the thing that just watching the, the Super Bowl and nothing against Jimmy G. I have to be careful. I live, you know, out here in eastern Illinois. They'll come they'll come get me if I if I slander Jimmy G. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they'll be pitchforks at the door. But I think, you know, that's the part that like, you know, they're they're in the Super Bowl and he just looks like. You know, he looks like he's thinking about his, you know, his off-season vacation with whatever supermodel he's going to hang out with. Um, you know, where Philip Rivers is playing the preseason games, like, you know, like the, you know, um, you know, like his, like the lives of all 37 of his children depend on it. And I think that that competitive, you know, uh, fire would be appealing to, you know, you look at a, a system like, um, you know, a coach like um, Kyle Shanahan, but also a GM who is a former player and who played in the AFC West and is, you know, familiar with. Uh, Philip Rivers. So again, there would be kind of a crazy scenario, but if you're in a short window and you think, you know, you need to make that change, I mean, Philip Rivers going to San Francisco probably isn't the craziest thing if they're open to Tom Brady. I mean, you know, if nothing else, you bring him in and he competes with Jimmy G and, and maybe, you, you know, that, that intensity pushes, pushes Jimmy to really maximize his potential. But um, if I were the 49ers, I'd at least kick the tires on that because I think there's potential there to uh, improve a spot that really wasn't impressive this last year, despite, you know, your team being very successful. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. It's always, again, it's always fun whenever we get to sit down and record a podcast. We'll have you on again before the 
draft gets here. And then, of course, we've already talked about doing shows after the draft to recap everything. But let them know where they can find you and what kind of content you have coming in the next few weeks. Yeah, so you can find me um, at Arrowhead Addict, but also, you know, my Twitter handle is at Arrowhead Tom. So I am working and I've I've just put together my big board, you know, my pre-combine big board um, two days ago, actually. And so, like I said, I'm a little behind on some things. We'll be, once the combine settles, um, I'll start really honing in on who's our, who are the options for the Chiefs in the first round and the second round and, and those types of things. I'll start churning out some, you know, three or four or five round mock drafts. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do some, um, some content on who are the sleepers, who are the guys who aren't getting enough hype. Um, you know, I, that's that's where I really enjoy is finding guys that not everybody's talking about and you know I want to put those guys out there so on draft day when you know you're at the, your draft party or maybe that's just me who has a draft day party but you know if you're if you're like me and you have one of those and somebody gets drafted and everybody else is like who's that guy I'm like oh yeah that's you know uh, that's the Arizona State receiver out of you know Brandon Ayuk he ran a 4.42 at the combine he's six foot one you know you so you have that information you can impress your friends and um, you know get excited early for the start of some, you know, some new chiefs. I mean, that's the, that's the most exciting part is you get to bring these kids into your, your program. So, um, yeah, so keep an eye on that. We'll, like I said, we'll have a lot of, I'll I'll hopefully have some more content here soon, just about first round options and, and how the combine has affected some of those, some of those prospects. So again, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Arrowhead Tom and all my content is at Arrowhead Addict. Hey, you know what? You're not the only one who has draft watch parties uh, a group of my friends have been doing that since high school, really. And so we'll have to have you back on, especially before the draft, but also to have a redraft between us for uh, draft party plates and foods and whatnot that, that you like to snack on while you're taking in one of the greatest days of the sports year, really. Yeah, really an underrated underrated day. I don't, I've been, you know, petitioning with the various bosses I've had over the years. So, you know, I really need this Thursday and Friday off. It really should be a holiday. And they just look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and that I it want should a be a holiday, I think. I agree. So, uh, so that's Arrowhead Tom. That's Arrowhead Tom. I'm Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Is that R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S? That's Arrowhead Tom on Twitter at Arrowhead Tom. His draft stuff is unmatched, especially when it comes to the chief specific stuff so check all that out and again he'll be back before the draft after the draft and really anytime he wants to come back yeah i'll be around thanks for having me so be good and be good so one another we'll see you next week on the aerodynamic podcast Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.